let me add my welcome to that of others if you're a guest with us today. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here too. It's great to be worshiping with you this morning. Um, just a quick word on the, on the Woodland Drive-In too. Uh, for those of you for whom this might be a newer ministry, it really kind of functions as a campus of our church. And uh, you, you should see really the, the pictures of when this thing was launched more than 40 years ago now. It occupied space at the Woodland Drive-In Theater, which used to be where Lowe's is now at the intersection of East Beltline and 28th Street. There was a big drive-in theater there. Uh, and this church had the vision to do a, a preaching ministry that would uh, welcome everyone from all stripes and backgrounds and everything. And they had a farm wagon that they loaded up all the gear on and they'd tow it to the front of the drive-in uh, theater down there. And they, that, that's where things would uh, take place from. It's, it's an amazing an amazing story. We're so thankful for Pastor Tracy. I think she's already gone because she has to preach in a couple minutes. But uh, just, it's just a great, great thing. You should go. If you've never been to the drive-in, you should go over there. Uh, uh, some morning and check it out. It's a unique thing. You dial in the service on your radio and, and listen as the worship happens and as Pastor Tracy preaches. So, uh, so here today, we're continuing our series in Ephesians uh, that began last week. We're just in week two of this, so if you're new, you haven't missed much. Uh, we read the first half of chapter one last week. This week, we're on to the second half of chapter one. The quick skinny is that in the first chapter, the Apostle Paul is uh, kind of reminding us of all the ways that God has blessed us, past, present, and future. And it's, it's just an, an overwhelming, if you remember, it, it was one big run-on sentence, right? He just couldn't contain himself. You're like, man, this is all, these are all the ways that God has blessed us through, through choose, choosing us, adopting us as, as, as children, promising us this great inheritance. And then this week, the second half of Ephesians chapter one is really Paul praying that that church back then, and really every church of every time, might really get this, that the reality of those blessings might seep down into our hearts and, and stick so that we might live in that place, kind of under this covering of all of that blessing and, and the freedom that emerges from it. So let's listen now to the second half of Ephesians chapter one. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. So again, we're just working our way through a book of the Bible in this series. And in the preaching world, it's called Lectio Continua. Lectio, a book, continua, you know, continuously. So we're just going straight through the thing. So first half of chapter one of Ephesians, all about the blessings God has poured out on us. This half of the chapter about us getting it, this kind of, this kind of prayer that Paul is praying for the Christians of that of that church. And, and he says it very clearly. Clearly, Paul says that ever since he heard of the Ephesians uh, for their, their faith and their love for others, he hadn't stopped giving thanks for them and praying for them. And he was praying something very specific. Here it is. I keep asking, meaning when he wakes up in the morning and thinks about the church in Ephesus and his friends and sisters and brothers he prays once again this very same prayer for them. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. And, and that's it. You know, the essence of the prayer, that you may know. Not wonder, not even hope, that you may know. Right? And Paul kept praying it for them, that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened. Now, in, in the Bible world, a heart wasn't just understood as the seat of emotion. It was understood as kind of a whole inward person. So the prayer is that our whole inward person would be en light end. En as a prefix means within. So the prayer is that, that new light would, would show on, on our insides, on our inward being, uh, that, that we might know God better. Enlightened. It's an amazing thing that, that we might see in new ways, see the real deal, understand the gospel, and really know God. And, and the verb tense is important too. It, it's that we might be enlightened. You know, we don't enlighten ourselves through some action of our own we don't achieve enlightenment, we receive it. It's something that originates outside of us, which is given us by something or someone beyond us. Uh, but, but more on that in, in a moment. That's kind of the second section of the sermon. The, the essence of the prayer is for new light internally that would make visible to us a real knowledge of God. Again, not just God as an idea. God is a person who loves us who's present with us right now, present in the world, seeking people to turn toward him. I mean, this, this is a knowledge of God. And, and I take it to mean that if the apostle was praying it for the church, it's actually possible to receive it. It's not just a religious idea hanging out there. More than that, not only is it possible to receive it, God wants us to receive it that this is the place God would hope us to live, living every present moment under the shelter and freedom of God's great blessings given to us in Jesus. Again, miles and miles away from kind of the condemning father in the sky, crossed arms, tapping foot. Hey, when are you gonna get this right anyway? It's on the other end of the continuum. God's saying, I love you so much. I have done all of this for you. Our communion liturgy says it, right? Christ fulfilled for us all obedience to the divine law. It's done. 
It's finished. And if we're in Christ today, we're free. Not just kind of free. You might not feel free. You might be struggling with stuff. But the truth about our relationship with God is that we are free and that we can live under this shelter and freedom of, of that umbrella. So, so that's the, the Apostle Paul's ongoing prayer for the church. And it really is an enduring prayer for every church of every age in every place. So let's dive a little deeper in what Paul is actually praying here. Uh, first, a quick word about knowing. I mean, there are some philosophical types in our midst, without a doubt, and, and know about epistemology. I mean, the study of how we know things, right? How, how do we actually come to a knowledge of something? That might be a little deeper than we're going to dive today. But the kind of knowledge Paul is referring to here is the Hebrew kind of knowing, not just the Greek kind of knowing. Because in the Greek culture, a person knew something if they got it in their head. If you understood a concept and it was, was in your mind. The Hebrew concept of knowing adds the knowledge of experience to the knowledge of understanding. Thus, one would know something when one both understood it and had experienced it. That would be a true knowledge. Um, and and if, if you didn't know this, I'm sure you do, the Greek concept of knowledge is basically our culture's understanding of knowledge. It's so dramatically impacted our culture that that is almost the definition of how we think about knowledge, when you know something in your head, which makes all the difference when we're talking about faith because faith isn't just intellectual assent, right? It involves an experience of something, a placing one's trust upon Jesus. That's why this distinction is so, so very important. So the, 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 the clearest and really most direct way of saying this is that the Hebrew word for knowledge, for knowing, is used of the way that husbands and wives know one another sexually in the marriage relationship. That kind of knowledge. Husband and wives, uh, husbands and wives don't just know about one another. They know one another fully and completely. And, and, and really... That's the kind of knowledge, this full understanding, full experience of God for which Paul is praying for the church. It's an amazing thing, right? An enlightenment within, new light on the inside that gives us new, better, deeper understanding and experience of God. That's Paul's prayer for the church back then and I believe for the church of every time. So how does one gain that kind of knowledge? How, how do you get that? Right? This gets back uh, to that idea that we don't attain enlightenment, we receive it. In, in theological, philosophical terms, this is the conversation between reason and revelation. And Paul is praying revelation for us, that we would receive something that we don't have the capacity to figure out on our own. Because there are things like that in this world, Right? Uh, the Enlightenment of the late 17th century and 18th century really enthroned reason as king. And ever since that time, there seems to me at least to be an unnecessary, even unnatural, I would argue, dividing wall between faith and reason. Uh, and almost like they were set up as opposites at war. There's like a conflict model between these two. Uh, unfortunately, this fallacy in my opinion, at least that's what I'd call it, has led many, many smart, science-minded folks to completely disregard faith or to never explore it, at least, with any real vigor uh, 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 or any, any real 
uh, passion, right, that, to seek out if there might actually be substantial issues of faith. Um, I know this personally because I have family members that are in this world of being so immersed in science that the thought of faith becomes almost irrational because their perception is that these two things are in such great conflict that they can't even talk to one another. And they're so committed to the, the first, you know, reason, science, that why would I even explore the second? Um, there's, there's, a, there's a great book. If this is a, a piece of interest to you, there's a great book called Religion in an Age of Science by a, a person named Ian Barber. And he unpacks four models of, of relationship between faith and reason, the conflict model, where they're just duking it out, right? It's kind of boxing ring and one is gonna win. Uh, there's the independence model where these are two completely separate deals. One is over here, one is over here. We should keep them that way. Uh, there's the dialogue model, that there's tensions here, but maybe the two could get in the same room and talk a little bit. And then there's the model I prefer, the integration model, that there's no conflict at all in these things. And, and I choose this model not because I just like that of the four. I choose this because I understand it to be the most biblical view. Because in my mind, the Bible's pretty clear. There's an earthly realm and there's a heavenly realm. And God has given us tools to gain understanding and knowledge of both. Reason, the tool God gives us for gaining knowledge, understanding, and experience of the earthly realm. Faith, the tool God gives us for gaining knowledge, understanding, and, and experience of the heavenly realm. Uh, you know, it, it, it really, there doesn't have to be any conflict between these two things, right? There's conflict in my mind when, only when we make one of two mistakes. When we try to use only reason for understanding the world or when we try to use only faith for understanding the world. Both of these things are intended to give us understanding. Some things are best understood by reason, some things best understood by faith. It's not quite an either or, it's always a both and, right? This, this kind of thing. Some in the science community are guilty of the first error, using only reason to understand everything that's going on in the world. Some in the faith community, the Christian faith community, are guilty of the second, using only faith to understand everything that's going on in the world. And at least from my seat, this sets up some untenable logical inconsistencies, which the family members like mine who are highly committed to science, they look at and think, well, I can never believe that. Well, you don't have to believe that to be a Christian. Right? It's a completely different thing. There's a huge conversation here. And we have to admit that we, we don't understand everything. Reason will not get us there, right? The reason that I am uh, standing on this stage and not floating up to the ceiling right now, gravity, did you know that no one can explain this? This is the single most predictable force in the entire world. Some would argue even more predictable than time because Einstein showed that gravity impacts time. The single most predictable, always there force in the world, gravity, nobody has any idea what it is. Did you know that? We can measure it to the finest detail. No one can explain why it happens. We've got nothing. Right, so, so even when you press the ends of science, you circle back around to the reality that maybe some things about this world are, are only understood by, by faith. That's why great theologians can, can speak of faith that seeks understanding. That, that, that one path to understanding is only through the pathway of faith. 
I certainly have experienced that to be true. I, I imagine if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you've experienced that same kind of thing. So there's, there's faith and reason, uh, uh, and we all acknowledge in the Christian community that if a person is going to come to know anything about God, it will not be because we've reasoned it out, because we've figured it. It'll be because God delivers it to us. You know, we, we can't, we can't just figure that out. So at the end of the day, you know, trying to navigate this world only using 50% of the resource God has given us to gain understanding and knowledge and wisdom, you know, either reason or, 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 or faith alone, in my mind would be akin to a kindergartner trying to navigate Manhattan. Like, you ain't gonna get along so well with regard to the whole thing because there's so much more if you're only relying on one of those. So these, these extremes of thinking we avoid and, and we also acknowledge that if we're gonna know about God, it will be because God reveals it to us and that's what Paul is praying. Thus, thus the prayer, may the glorious Father give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is a different message but I think his prayer is rightly ordered. Wisdom first and then revelation because if you get the revelation before wisdom, we do dumb things with it. May you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know. That you may know. That's the understanding and experience kind of knowing. This deep knowing. So, so what is it exactly that Paul wants us to know and experience, to understand and experience? What is Paul asking God to give us? Well, it's, it's right in the text. We can know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of the inheritance to come and the power of God that's, that's present in the world today and available to us, as mentioned earlier in this service. Look at the text. Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart, you know, that, that, inner, that inner world may be enlightened, light on the inside, in order that you may know, understand, and experience the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I mean, not unlike last week, there's a past, present, and future element to this, right? The hope to which you are called, the, the power right now for us who believe, and the riches of the inheritance yet to come. This is prayer across time. And uh, Paul is praying that God would help us understand and experience real hope, real wealth, and real power. We can know hope, riches, and power. That's, that's the prayer. Now, Sermon time out for a second. Think about that, would you? How much energy in this world is expended by human beings trying to chase down these three things? Real hope, real wealth, and real power. I mean, this is everywhere. This is every day, right? I mean, look, look around, listen to the news, check out the Amazon self-help bestsellers. The world is clamoring for hope. I mean, some shred, any shred of news that might even hint to us that things are gonna be okay. Might even come close to, to saying that maybe I'm okay somehow, as messed up as I know I am. I mean, there, there's clamoring for hope, it's everywhere. The pursuit of wealth is, is obvious, right? Goes without saying, I, I know I've shared in other messages before, my, my case in point for this is a very, very good friend of mine who when years ago we were having a conversation about things of faith, I was kind of new to Christianity and I was sharing my new faith with him. He made it quite clear that he just couldn't believe that, 
that God was planning all this and that, that he fit into this and he had rejected faith long ago and really wasn't interested in it now. So he concluded, I'm left with one thing, quote, go for the gold. Oh, we, ha- we still haven't learned that lesson. You go for the gold, you get it, and you realize it won't satisfy you. Right? That, that is real. The pursuit of wealth, the real power. I mean, this is everywhere in our culture too, the pursuit of power, all the posturing, all the maneuvering, all the manipulating. Oh my goodness. What's going on? I mean, the Bible doesn't say this, but I wondered this week if power might not be like money. It's not that power is bad. It might just be that the love of power is bad. Right? I mean, we, we expend so much energy chasing after these things in our lives. It is mind-boggling. And yet, here's Paul praying. I, I pray that God would give you, just deliver to you, download to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you might know these things, not just know about them, understand them and experience them. That's the prayer. And 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 it's hope and and wealth and, and power, hope. In Jesus, there's boundless hope, all based on historical event, not just religious ideas nor spiritual wonderings. Right? In Jesus, we, we move from living under the cloudy skies of condemnation to the, the clear, sunny day of freedom from judgment according to law. That's mind-boggling if you've taken a couple steps down this Christian road. It's incredible freedom. Right? We live in the hope of tremendous freedom because we're free from judgment. We live in the hope of harmonious relationships with all people everywhere, crossing all barriers erected by humanity, race, class, gender, whatever, for we were called by one Lord to one faith and one baptism and one church. Right? The New Testament is very clear. In Jesus, there is to be a new society. We're to do life in a new way together. And that's the church. And we live in the hope of new life for ourselves and I don't know where you're at in your journey. For a number of years in my journey, I would read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and the only thoughts in my mind were, oh man, I'm not doing that and how could I ever possibly get that right? And oh geez, this is impossible. Well, yeah, by our own strength, it is impossible. But these days, I find myself in a place where I read that Sermon on the Mount not as a list of stuff I'm supposed to do, but as the kingdom kind of life that's possible because the Holy Spirit's living inside of us. That's the person Jesus is making us to be. The person from whom all of those things flow very naturally. Because that's how we were all created originally, right? In that kind of place, and Jesus is remaking us to that that place. I, I find it so fascinating that the apostle Peter parallels the apostle Paul here so clearly. Look at this from 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's hope first because Jesus is alive right now. We can know and experience hope because of Jesus. We can know and experience the great wealth God has promised us in in the future. Peter goes on from the verses we just read. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and new birth into an inheritance that can never 
perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. If, if you're in Christ, meaning if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're God's kid and God is your perfect parent. God is for you and no one and nothing can in the end be against you. There's turmoil and suffering and all sorts of stuff in this life. But in the end, in Christ, we're bulletproof. Right? That's the conclusion at which the Apostle Paul arrived in Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one and nothing. And, and also in that end, there's an inheritance. The kingdom of God fully come. Our, our struggle in this life, our struggle with sin, if, if you know what it means to, to know Jesus, to confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and, and you continue observing your own life and thinking, man, how... This, my, I don't align with what I say I believe. Yes, yes, you know the critics of the church are right when they say Christians are hypocrites. Yes, I am at the front of the line. We, we believe something and our lives are inconsistent with what we believe. And there's this journey that moves through life of just becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's the journey we're to engage because it's the, God, it's the work that God's doing in us. So this inheritance that God gives us, we can know and experience that and God's power in the present. Paul, Paul prays that we might know his incomparably great power. That, that passage from 1 Peter continues on, hope, inheritance, and, and power. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed. You know, it's one thing to, to kind of know about God in your head, you know, have the, me- the intellectual understanding. It's a completely different thing to, to understand and experience that incomparably great power of God, especially as it pertains to the way that power shields us in, in this life. Look, look at what Paul says about the power available to us right now. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. It's a resurrection and ascension power. Man, what, what does this look like for us? How, how do we engage this what do we actually do? I mean, it gets back to Jesus' big four. Right? Did you know this? I mean, if, if, you, if you break down all of the imperative statements, the commands of the Bible, if you distill down Jesus' message to people, you can break it down into four words. This is my thing. It might be too simple. Give me some feedback if you'd like. Jesus said, repent, believe, wait, and go. The big four. Repent. Engage with God somehow. You know, engage. Don't stay distant. Don't choose not to engage. Engage. Change your thinking about what's going on in this life and and, and in the world, in your life. And change your thinking to, to the model of Jesus and the way that he talked about the world. And believe. That's, again, not just pack religious stuff into your head that's align your life with your change of thinking 
repent, believe, new thinking, new living that's aligned to that change. Wait. This is from Acts 1 now. Specifically, it's wait to be clothed with power from on high. Wait for God's Holy Spirit to come upon you and and, and into your life. And then go. Because once that power is present, we need to tell. Because the message is true. It, it, It all actually happened. Right? He's alive right now. So this, this move is really the, the first step in, in, into new life in Christ, into experiencing uh, all of this. Right? Repent, believe are the initial steps, but this waiting, this praying for God's power in our lives, what God intends for us is a huge piece of this. And that's how we experience new life in Christ, really. And that's Paul's prayer that we might know God better, understand and experience God in new ways. Past blessings, present blessings, future blessings, all ours in Jesus. We can understand hope, real hope. We have access to wealth, real wealth. And we understand this power that God has for us in, in, in this life. So Jesus invites us, right? You don't have because you don't ask. Ask, seek, knock. If any of this sounded appealing to you and you think of your, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but I haven't even tasted that, you have to go after this according to the biblical model, right? Which is search for it as for hidden treasure. Turn your whole attention to this. Not just the hour on a Sunday morning we give to this. Right? It has to occupy your whole being. And when it does and you keep after it, God says that he's willing to be found. He really finds us, by the way. But one passage says, God will be found by you. What an amazing thing, right? Ask, seek, and knock. And for all of us, may we receive the apostles' prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, be with us in this. Be with us in this message. Um, I, I stand up and and share some words, and they're, they're, they're mine. Uh, so God, distill these, replay in our minds and spirits anything that, that might have been from you that was a word from, from your spirit, and uh, uh, sweep away, Father, the words that were not of you and maybe weren't helpful, but zero in our hearts and spirits on what you're saying to us, Lord. And help us toward that next step of what we might do about it. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.